Welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast, where we help nonprofits reimagine generosity and put the joy back in fundraising. Hear from leading nonprofit fundraisers and marketers as they reveal strategies for strengthening donor relationships to propel your nonprofit forward. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Virtuous Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Nicole Johansson, the VP of Advancement from One Hope with us on the phone, and also Cheryl Root, the Partner Database Manager for One Hope. Uh, One Hope has been a great partner of ours, and these folks are doing some just really sophisticated, cool stuff in the world of fundraising. Um, uh, Nicole has been with One Hope for 18 years, uh, got her degree at Liberty University, MBA at Lynchburg College, but has just been cranking away faithfully at One Hope for 18 years, which we'll talk about this in a minute. I think the average tenure of a fundraising professional is 18 months right now, and so it's quite an accomplishment to be there 18 years. Cheryl has been uh, a friend and a supporter of Virtuous uh, for a couple of years now, actually, and is doing an amazing job with reporting data analytics and ministry development to be able to support their partner services team at One Hope. So I am so thrilled to have both of you on the podcast today. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's start with this. Nicole, I'd love to hear you kind of just tell our audience a little bit about One Hope, what your mission is, and then how you ended up engaged in what you guys are doing. Great. Um, yeah, One Hope, our mission is to um, simply provide God's word to children and youth around the world. And uh, we do that through the local church. We work um, Every year in about 125 countries or so, and this year we'll provide a scripture engagement experience or portion to 112 million children. So that's a lot of kids in a lot of countries, um, and we tailor all of those scripture experiences by age and culture and language um, to just give an effective presentation of God's word to kids and to equip the church. You guys are much different now than you maybe were when you started, but when you very first made the decision to go to work at One Hope, what was it that pulled you in? Um, so when we when I first started, we were simply a scripture distribution ministry, but still focused on um, children and youth. And I was really drawn to One Hope because my own life experience, I encountered God's word at the age of 12, and it just radically changed who I was and how I lived my life. And I wanted to give that to other kids. And that has stayed the same, even amidst all the changes at One Hope. That's still what we do and what we did 18 years ago. So yeah, that's why I came on the team. Well, that's great. Um, and and this, this next one is actually kind of related, but I'd love for you as a fundraising professional to kind of tell us a little bit about what attracts donors and supporters. So as you talk to the people that are sort of faithfully backing you guys year over year, what, what attracts them and keeps them engaged? Um, I think the first thing that keeps them engaged is just hearing the stories of how lives are changed um, through God's word, their belief in God's word and its power to bring about change. Um, I think there's a, a group of donors who are very attracted to what we do because of the efficiency and the economic model we have, and they feel like it's a good value. Um, it costs us 33 cents to reach a child with God's word, and there are a lot of people who love the ability to give a dollar and have three kids encounter God's word. Um, 
and then I think the the piece that sort of binds all that together is the relationship that we um, seek to have with our donors. Um, we don't even call them donors, we call them partners. Um, and we just want them to be part of what we do and part of what God's doing through this ministry. And so we invest in their lives and we really try to know them. And I think that that brings a, a truth and a, it brings home for them those stories of transformation and the, the understanding of how we do our work. Um, and that keeps them engaged with us and, and part of what God's doing here. That's great. You know, I'd, um, I'll brag on you guys just a little bit. Uh, one of the things you talked about uh, efficiency. Um, we work with a, a ton of nonprofits, and I have for the last uh, 15 years. Um, in general, nonprofits lag a little bit behind the technology curve. I'm not saying anything that uh, our listeners don't already know. It's just the truth. Um, one hope has been notoriously out ahead um, on a few major initiatives, which is which is shocking. Uh, the the app that you guys did in partnership with Uversion a couple of years ago, my four-year-old daughter uses it religiously. And at one point, if I'm not mistaken, you guys were ahead of Twitter in the Apple App Store with your app, which, um, again, not a shocker for anybody, but for uh, uh, older legacy kind of Bible ministry to be in that position is is pretty shocking. So I'm guessing that's a big part of what your donors love about you. I think our donors love that we're always looking um, to find and to understand where the next generation is and then to meet them there with God's word. And with the Bible app for kids, it was also just a perfect partnership. Um, Uversion couldn't have been a better um, organization for us to work with and come alongside with. And they knew technology and they knew apps and they knew how to get us in the store. And we knew um, biblical content and how to shape it for kids. And so it just, it, you know, it was one of those things God put together and we, and we're really grateful for the impact it's had. And I'm glad your daughter loves it too. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, that leads well to the next question, which is um, you guys really do think about partnering differently. I feel like you, you use the words partner. You're very intentional about that for donors. I would also say that you partner with other organizations well too. And so this, it's a very collaborative spirit, um, which, which I love. Ha, has that always been true? Kind of how has your fundraising model evolved over the last 10, 20 years? Um, and, and even thinking about fundraising, moving from sort of one or two major donor fundraisers to thinking about you know, everybody on it, the team is a fundraiser. Kind of walk me through how that, that shift has occurred. Well, we have two core values that drive our fundraising, and they have remained the same since the beginning of One Hope. Um, one is that the donors are partner in World Mission. So that's that partner piece. Yeah. Um, we really believe they're, um, they come alongside and, and that God brings them to this ministry to be part of what he's doing here. And um, the other is the belief that God is our provision, but that we will be as creative and resourceful and energetic as possible in sharing what he's doing and inviting others to be part of it. And um, those things are, were the same 30 years ago and are the same today. What has changed is recognizing where other people are. So 30 years ago, people um, were giving in ministry primarily to um, their trust in a person, in a leader, 
Um, and we certainly saw that in our early days, and that's where a, a really traditional development model serves well and helps um, come alongside that leader and you know build relationship and meet the needs of a donor. But what we've noticed um, is that more and more people are giving to an idea. Um, they're giving to a mission. That's what they want to be a part of. And they want to know there's good governance and there's um, effectiveness and that there's efficiency. But to really understand and be part of the idea, we felt they needed to be closer to our program team. And that was the change we made. Um, it's been seven years ago now, I guess, to um, eight years ago, actually, to um, give a portion of that responsibility to every member of the team. And that's been a, a long journey for us, but um, what it has simply meant is every person that's based in our US team spends 10% of their time um, ministering to and working with and being available to our donor partners. And in doing that, they bring the donor closer to our work on the field and the work we're doing around the world. And then they also have a better appreciation and understanding for the people who are part of this ministry um, through their financial giving. So it's been a win-win for the donor. It brings them closer to the work. And for the employee, the staff member, it brings them closer to the donors who, who support the work. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm so passionate about shortening the distance between um, donors and program in the field. I think there's been this sort of protectionist wall that's been built for so many years where, you know, they're, they're scared of admitting failure sometimes. They're scared of letting people too close to see what's really going on. There's, there's, they want, um, the major donor folks want to have control. And so all of these things get in the way of donors being truly engaged, working shoulder to shoulder with, um, nonprofits. And so I love you guys approach. Now, that said, it's really, really scary. So this this next question is kind of actually for Cheryl because it's really easy for the VP of Advancement to say, we should all be fundraisers, right? But then <laughs> for the rest of the team to adopt that. So Cheryl, talk me through a little bit what that's been like for you, what it's been like for the rest of the team, um, how kind of you guys have felt that culture shift. As it, was it hard? Did it take it? you know, a year or two, kind of walk me through what that felt like as a team member. Well, for me personally, um, because I've been on the fundraising side for a while, it was probably a little more natural feeling than to some of our team. Yeah. But, um, and it certainly, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Um, every new process like that takes time, especially when it's coming out of your already busy schedule. Um, but overall, I think it's, as Nicole said, it's just been a truly um, beneficial process for our team. It, for me to be able to talk to our partners on a regular basis and to get to know some of them fairly well and to know their concerns and their heart and to just appreciate how sacrificially some of them give to our ministry and have done so for such a long time is uh, a blessing. And then practically, I mean, it's enabled us to keep our contact records much more current. I mean, phone numbers, email address, addresses, um, even on that practical basis, with yeah. the more people are that are engaging with our team. Yeah. Um, that has been good too. But, what does that look like for you, Cheryl, or even for the rest of your team there? Is it you guys all sort of have 
a list of folks that you're responsible for caring for and then you're you're calling them or does it look a little bit different for every team member um we we really try to um gear we want to make sure every person's in the right seat so we definitely look at how to best minister to our partners but also as to what team member best might fit that role as well yep. so um some people do visits uh to our team, some people do calls to like a uh, set group, the group of people that they minister to on a quarterly basis or contact. And then some of our team do prayer calls or write notes, depending on um, you know to our general donors. So um, we want it both ways. We want to be able to serve our partners, but also to take into consideration our staff as well and help them grow. Yeah. No, I, th I think that's, I think that's brilliant. I think um, pushing generosity as a core part of the organization, not this, this means to an end um, mentality where sort of generosity is separate from the work. I think that's so dangerous at the same time. Um, you, you can't expect all of your team to be, you know, hardcore development folks. Everybody has different passions and different gifting and that's okay too. And so, navigating that and walking that line is um, I'm sure it's been tricky but man what an amazing opportunity for your team so so cool so what Cheryl for you what are the top couple of lessons that, that you've learned as you sort of got into this um, what are the what are the things that you, you could kind of impart to our audience especially those that would that are evaluating a similar model I think the most important thing is that it really um, and Nicole mentioned this as well, but just interacting with our partners personally um, by phone call. It may be not feel natural or it may feel kind of, you know, uncomfortable to start with. But when you, when you talk to them and you hear their hearts and you begin to realize they're people too, just like you and I, and they're not just numbers on an income sheet or money coming in, um, they're truly partnering with you in this ministry helps you want to share more and and even in my role um, because my role is a lot of spreadsheets and data and analytics it's not um, direct with partner or direct with the field it helps carry over to help me remind me <clears throat> of what I'm doing in that space of the reason why I'm you know why what I do every day in spreadsheets is uh, important to our team important to our partners for good stewardship and uh, it helps get the scripture to the field so they can share it with children around the world. That's great. So talk to me about results a little bit. Like how long did it get to a, take to get to a place where you guys were seeing results and what have been the results been like of specifically this equipping folks uh, to be fundraisers? Yeah, we, um, so we did see results in some of our um, donor segments almost immediately. Um, once we started talking to people mm -hmm. and um, really um, pursuing that individual conversation and in prayer call with people, um, we could see right away people who received a call were doing better, um, ret retention was better, and um, their, even their average gift was slightly higher than those who maybe didn't yeah. receive a contact. Um, that, um, 
th that was harder to measure. It was harder to measure immediate results in other segments of um, the donor base. And we, we did struggle a little bit early on with um, some of the team that was doing visits, feeling comfortable with that visit. And they were fine maybe to go out and talk to someone, but to actually ask someone to come on board and make a gift was, um, it took a few years actually to get people in a comfortable space with that. Um, what we see now is that the staff um, does really well and we see good results in two areas, in um, retaining multi-year givers. Um, so we're seeing really high rates, well over 70% of our multi-year givers staying um, active from year to year. And we believe that's because we connect with them and, and we keep them connected to what um, the impact of their donation is. And then taking care of, in a, in a visit and in a caseload um, management, sort of typical caseload management way, but um, taking care of the partners who give um, gifts of a, about 1000 or $1,500 or more per year, um, we've seen really good growth in those segments. So they are our fastest growing, um, especially a lot of our funding comes from churches, and we see that in that area. Um, Culture of engagement, that's what we call this program, has been most successful when someone is working with an existing partner. It's been less successful in bringing new people on board. Yep. And so we've had to work around and, and find some different strategies for that. And so um, the team who's maybe more naturally um, gifted in that fundraising and vision casting space, we've now sort of pivoted their whole focus to bringing new people on board. And we're letting a lot of the team serve and build the relationship with existing partners. And that's been the probably the biggest breakthrough for us in seeing results across the board. So now we are seeing growth in um, all of our segments served by this program, um, both in their retention and in their the dollar amounts we receive there. And then by putting a a more specialized team focused on bringing new people on. We're seeing growth now in bringing new donors into the One Hope family and, and are excited about that as well. That's a little more recent, but that That's seems great. to be the key there. That's great. And that makes all the sense in the world, actually, especially, I mean, just the, just the retention piece being something that's so like sort of obvious and easy to see. Um, that's great. Uh, Cheryl, so on your side, this is going to sound like I'm asking for a shameless plug for Virtuous. I'm really not going <laughs> to talk about everything you're doing there, uh, but um, everything Nicole is describing sounds amazing. Also sounds like a logistic and technological, technological <laughs> nightmare, right? Because now you have a whole team of people sort of unilaterally maintaining relationships with a whole lot of donors and you don't want to miss a beat. If something important happens in somebody's life, you need to get to communicate across the team. If, Somebody asks somebody for one amount of money. You don't want some something else asking for a different amount than next. I mean, it's just it, logistically, it seems challenging. And so, kind of from a from a technology and even a process standpoint, what does that transition look like for you guys? Um, the reason we chose Virtuous was because it was so user friendly and allowed our team to have that real time access to partner information. Um, in a way that they could understand. Uh, our last database was very robust and <clears throat> was great on the back end, the reporting side that was not particularly user-friendly. So um, 
our team, it was, I mean, it's challenging to think of that many hands in my database, um, but, <laughs> but the reality is, other than one minor little thing, there really have been no major issues. Um, and I think it allows much, as we work forward, it allows much cleaner data, much more real-time accurate data so that anyone can look in a partner's account and see what their last gift was or what their last interaction was with them. And um, definitely, you know, it was process changes, um, but it streamlined, I think, our gift entry and our gift, uh, the getting gifts in is much quicker now. Um, so overall, there were definitely challenges and continue to be, but your team is great at uh, <coughs> hearing uh, ideas for, uh, you know, future, you know, changes to the database that I would suggest or dealing with any bugs that might happen when you guys roll out so faithfully and wonderfully new changes every month. So um, a challenge, but I don't think we ever doubted um, that it was the right move for us to make and moving forward. Great. You know, Gabe, um, I'll say this about it because Cheryl, you know, her job is to be conservative about our data and, you know, my job is to make it usable and um, serve the people that, that need it, you know, need to use that, need to know our partners and track that information. And I think Virtuous, I mean, first of all, I would say we could never do this without it. Um, when we started this program, our database was all server based, which meant when people were traveling, they couldn't access anything. Um, we did everything by paper and emails and it was a mess. Um, so Virtuous changed the success of this for us. It, um, I don't have any question of that. And then the, the second piece of it has been when I made the decision to change, I went to the team that Cheryl works with that processes our donations and manages the data and said, your life has to get harder so that the rest of the team's life can get easier. And so, you know, we had to look at what that meant. We had to look at staffing and, and how do we structure for it. But, um, and they made that adjustment and Cheryl has, you know, faithfully protected our donors and their data. And so that's exactly what I want her to do. But she's also found a way to serve the team that is serving our donors and serving our partners. And um, that that's because Virtuous has given us that ability to give access across the board. So um, we knew we were signing up for a new product and, um, but it, it more than met our expectations and, and continues to. I love the email that tells me what's new. I send it to Cheryl and we, oh, we can do this now, we can do this now. So um, it's been a really good journey. That's great. No, I really, really appreciate it. I mean, the thing I love about that is is what we tell our customers and even people evaluating Virtuous all the time is that um, I love Virtuous. I think it's amazing. I think it's a great piece of software, but it doesn't work without at least some shift in culture. Um, and so the the hard part is actually making the decision, the hard decision about things like organizational transparency or opening up your data to the rest of the team, you know, giving everybody uh, access, right? I mean, these are, these are things that really speed along fundraising um, 
that it doesn't really have anything to do with virtuous. I mean, if you decide to do it, virtuous can help with it, but it's, it's really a culture shift. And so the thing that's been more fun for you guys, for me is kind of watching, um, you know, uh, Cheryl's face as, as she says, letting everybody have my data and, you know, <laughs> being a, this sheer panic, but also this knowledge of, you know, knowing that it's, it, it serves the ministry the best. And so that's been a, it's been fun to watch that. Um, okay. That is super, super helpful. I, um, in the time we have remaining here, I think you guys have a, a really unique, uh, segmentation strategy, um, based on different giving levels. I now think you've, you've started using at least, um, uh, automation and different kind of really cool processes for each of those segments to be able to communicate to them uniquely. Um, I'll either one of you or both of you, if you want to answer this, kind of walk me through how you think about segmenting your donors and why you've chosen that approach. Um, our donor segments um, originally were built just strictly off of giving levels. Um, but increasingly we look at them based on how we're going to interact with the person. And then also how deeply attached they are to um, One Hope. So if they, you know, we have a scale we put people on and depending on how much you know about us and how you interact with us, um, we may engage with you in a different way. Um, if, you, or if you're brand new to the ministry or if you don't have a deep relationship, then you probably need to understand us um, better. And so we'll work more on developing that understanding and helping you get answers to the questions you have. Um, so a lot of our segmentation has to do still with that, where does a, um, a person's giving level set? But then within that, we're looking at um, how frequent, how recently did you give? And then we're looking at how attached are you to the ministry? And, um, and even just what type of interaction do you respond well to? So automation has helped, I think, as a, on some of the basic processes it's helped, but I think where it's really becoming um, a helpful tool to our caseload managers is in that reminder. I know for me, now I'm getting, hey, you have a new gift, this person, you know, can you call and thank them, and just helping to take some of the administrative load off. Um, and the segmentation is part of um, being able to to use that automation tool effectively. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I mean, I love the idea of uh, segmenting people, not just based on their checkbook. I mean, RFM segmentation is a great baseline. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's really helpful, but that, that sort of misses who the donor is. It just tells you about, you know, their particular financial patterns, which is a very small slice of them as a person and how much they care about you or what they care about or where they are in life and, um, or even what their giving capacity is not just financially, but socially, relationally time. There's, there's so much more to it than just, you know, how recently have I given, how much do I give, how frequently do I give? And so, um, I love everything you're doing around that. Also, it, to my question about making everybody in your organization fundraiser sounds like a logistical nightmare, right? A lot of people are sort of um, a little bit scared of that because they think, well, we have 80 different kinds of people with 80 different kinds of passions and personas within the organization along their journey. We can't 
we need a content team of 40 people to create all of the stuff needed to support all of those different segments. So I know you guys have taken a pretty simple approach that makes sense for you, so for your team, but I'd love to hear you talk about just how you manage even content for that sort of segmentation model. Keeping the team uh, abreast of what's happening and um, with you know content that they can disperse um, has been, and some sides a challenge. Um, we work in 125 countries. Even if I do a country report, that means there's 125 of them. So um, there is a team. You know, we're already working with that information. There's a team that's constantly working on that. We did have to put some sort of rapid response teams together that could get information for um, for our, our staff as they're working with a donor and just quickly turn some things around. So. You know, some of that was stuff we were already doing and some we've had to add to it. Um, the other thing, uh, the other thing that we, we use in this space is a database that we internally manage our work with called HopeWorks. Yeah. And because the team who's out talking to our donors is also the team working with the field and working in, um, all of our functional areas, they have access to this database that tracks One Hope's work around the world. And so that has become a place where people can go and understand what's happening and we can keep sort of a centralized repository of information as well. Mm. Um, and then the other thing we do is just work off of some themes. Um, you know, a prayer, if someone's making prayer calls, they, uh, they can call, um, you know, six or seven or eight people and talk about the same story or the same update that's happening and they can share what's closest to their heart. Um, sort of a, a benefit we didn't foresee in this process that I recently had someone on staff tell me is, you know, if I'm having a really bad day, um, sometimes I'll just check out for a little bit and go, you know, make my calls and spend some time with our donors. And two things happen in that. One is, you know, I just I get that lift of um, caring for another person and engaging with them. But the other thing that happens is that to make that call, I'll go through and read a newsletter and I'll see what is happening. Um, and it connects me to the mission again. So we found without even thinking about it, that for our staff who work in the office and who maybe aren't as hands on, um, this is helping them stay connected to the mission because if they're going to share those stories with other people and share that content, then um, they have to be uh, aware of what's happening and, and reading it. So they're getting the benefit of staying connected to what we're doing, but then also sharing that um, work with others. So the content, it is, um, it is often content that we're already using in other places. If you do a print newsletter, you know, we'll, we'll teach our people on the phone um, to, to share with a donor. Did you see the global report this month? There was a great story about Russia. I, I love that story. So sometimes it's just helping connect the, the donor to the things you're already sending them in the mail. Um, it's not necessarily creating new content to, to feed this program. Yeah, no, that's great. I, um, we've had the same encouragement for some of the orgs we work with is start really, really simple in terms of, of segmenting by different passions or different life cycle stage. So even if it's just like, hey, new donors, 
are going to get some welcome series that introduces them to the organization and gets them engaged on a few different channels in a different way than, than long-term multi-year. Like, like let's start there, right? Uh, somebody who's, who you just met, you're going to treat differently to somebody that you've known for a long time. And so, and then once you have that, then maybe you start subdividing, but while you're doing that, while you're figuring out how to generate more dynamic automated kind of content, um, you're right. Just those phone calls and the handwritten note cards, having people have a more robust view. Um, the story I've told a million times is uh, the letters that um, IJM used to send to my brother. I love IJM. I think they're amazing. But they would send my brother gift ask for $50 a month. Um, and my brother's the pastor of this huge um, multinational church in Toronto who's super passionate about social justice, Right. The, a $50 gift ask is not the right ask for my brother. The right ask is like, get your church engaged in social justice. Help us change how we think about trafficking and human dignity in Toronto. And then he has like 40 different native languages represented in his congregation. I mean, that's a, they could go out into all the world and make a huge difference in this issue, but nope, they're asking for $50 a month just because they don't know. And it's really hard. But um, at the same time, if you can just have the person who calls my brother at least be able to see and be a little bit more sophisticated to say, oh, looks like he's a pastor. looks like he has a thousand Twitter followers. Maybe I'm going to have a different conversation with him. Something as simple as that can make all the difference. For at least those, those mid-level, not everybody's going to get four calls a year, but at least for a portion of your database, that can make a huge difference. Anyway, I know you didn't ask a question to me, ask a question to you, but I get <laughs> fired up about this issue. So it is. And it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to know always where a name came from and how that yeah. person um, um, would best engage with you. But hopefully, the more people we talk to, the more we can learn that. And, um, you know, it, it can be helpful in building a relationship, but also in getting that person connected in the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, we've covered uh, a lot of this. I'd love for you to talk about just briefly here um, the types of touch points that you kind of are, are looking to get uh, over the course of a year, what you kind of expect for each donor, at least each of your donor levels, you know, in terms of uh, visits, phone calls, um, mail, email, and kind of how you think about that so our general donors um, unless they request otherwise are put into our direct mail stream so they'll get we send a global report on a monthly basis which updates them um, you know on stories around the world of what one hope is doing and then we do special update mailings a couple times a year when we have a matching challenge or something like that and they will get included in those mailings as well and then the, at the same time, these uh, the same level of donors are getting um, either probably a prayer call or a note, depending on if we have a phone number for them or we don't. And so the prayer callers and the note writers are also engaging them. And as Nicole mentioned earlier, you know, they're looking through Global Report. Did you see the story? Can we pray for you? How can we pray for you? And um, Gabe, the story you shared about your brother is a great example. And that when you're having that interaction with your partner and you're talking about them and you're hearing their prayer requests, a lot of times that sort of information will come out. They're involved in this or they were missionaries. I 
I've, one of my partners was missionary, was a missionary in China for like 50 years, you know, so you, you write those down, you put on their account so you know their heart. So when we do something in China or we do something, you can kind of engage them specifically. Um, so those opportunities coincide with each other and just build on each other. Yeah, yeah completely agree. With our large and major donors, it's um, much more customized. It's really, I mean, if you're going to have a relationship with someone, it can't be the same thing for every person. But um, what we challenge the, the caseload managers to do is um, understand who their partner is, um, understand how they like to be communicated with, understand what they care about, understand what um, God is doing in their life and how One Hope might be a part of it. Um, care for them. You know, we really you know love your love the donors that you care for. If you love them, then um, God will use that, and and you never have to worry about your motives or their motives. You know, you just can have, be in a in a good, strong relationship with them. Um, we're always looking to be accountable. Um, we start every year with our major donors, giving them a a custom report that says this is how we used your money last year, and it's not. This is how One Hope used money all over the world. It's you gave $5,000 and this is how we used your $5,000. And we work hard to make sure that um, each donor knows the result of the, the gift that they gave. And then um, we invite them to be part of something else that's happening this year. That's usually, um, we have two goals a year for every person, you know, uh, being part of fun funding the work of the ministry where would you like to come alongside and, and be part of the work that god is doing and then also an engagement goal would you come to an event would you share us with other people would you um would you be our you know a champion for us or um sometimes it's you know a person has a skill or a specialty and they'll bring that to the ministry so a graphic designer that will do some in-kind work for us or you know, we have a transportation company locally that provides um, any of our ministry transportation to and from the airport. And when you travel as much as we do, that's a huge gift and, and blessing to our work. And so it's a really distinct way that they're um, part of uh, what we do. So, you know, we're not going to respond and work with them the same way that we work with um, every other donor. It, it's, and it's not just about giving level, but it's about creating that meaningful connection and making sure that people um, are understood and, and they understand what we, we've done with their resources and then they're invited to keep being a part of it. So um, that's generally comes out to three or four um, unique personal contacts a year and then that group of people would still receive newsletters and other information that would help them stay abreast of what's happening with the ministry. Yeah, that's great. And I know just, I love the idea. It's, it sounds so simple. I don't want it to get lost as having two goals for every donor every year, having a, how you can come alongside the ministry goal, but then having that additional engagement goal. And it, it, it has so much more impact on the ministry than you could ever imagine, but it actually makes the donor feel like you actually care about them um, more than just their wallet. And so it's that kind of a great two way effect of being very diligent about having that secondary ask. So I think it's yeah. awesome. And, you know, the other part of that, Gabe, is an engagement goal. 
um, actually requires you to treat that person as an individual. And I think for, as we spread this out, and if you talk about how do you trust the relationships and the information you have to so many people within the organization, um, always driving home that point of knowing and caring and serving those people. So that engagement goal has actually become easier for our team to pursue and think about because it feels right and natural um, more than the the uh, funding goal at times. Yeah. But um, they're both there and they both um, serve the relationship well, I think. That's great. I love it. Um, okay, that, uh, that was all I had. Thank you guys so, so, so much for doing this today. It's been a joy. I love hearing your sophistication and your thoughtfulness around building relationships with your partners. Uh, I think you guys are doing amazing work uh, pretty fearlessly, honestly. You're, you're attacking some stuff around bringing donors to the front lines of your cause treating them like people, personalizing relationships. That's honestly pretty novel. And so um, it's just amazing to hear your insights. So thank you both so much for joining us and look forward to talking again soon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser. The podcast is brought to you by Virtuous, the CRM and marketing automation software helping charities raise more money and create more good. Be sure to rate and subscribe. For more resources, head to virtuouscrm.com.